Welcome back to Mins Levin's From the Edge. I am Jeremy Glazer, the co-chair of the Mins Levin Venture Capital and Emerging Company Practice. Mins Levin is a nationally leading law firm focused on helping emerging growth companies achieve success. Check us out at mincedge.com. I am so pleased today to welcome my partner, Terry Shea Newton, and one of our valued friends of the firm, Luna Ryan. Terry has significant experience in a wide range of life sciences and clean technology industries focused on patent strategy, comprehensive portfolio management, construction of valuable portfolios, preparation and prosecution of patent applications, interferences, and post-grant proceedings in the life sciences and clean technology sectors. She also manages and conducts due diligence for both private and public companies and investors. Yuna has an incredibly diverse and interesting background. Yuna Ryan is a scientist by profession and artist in her personal life. One of the foremost life scientists in the field of vascular biology, immunology, and biotechnology, Dr. Yuna Ryan holds a PhD in cellular and molecular biology from Cambridge University and a BS degree in zoology, microbiology, and chemistry from Bristol University. Dr. Ryan has authored over 500 publications in vascular biology. She was most recently president and CEO of Diagnostics for All, a nonprofit organization developing inexpensive diagnostics for global health and agriculture, and was formerly president and CEO of Avant Therapeutics, a company developing vaccines and immunotherapeutics for cancer, travelers, food safety, and global health. Dr. Ryan received an honorary Doctor of Science degree from Bristol University in 2009. In 2007, she received the Albert Einstein Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Life Sciences. In 2002, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II awarded Dr. Ryan the Order of the British Empire for Services to Biotechnology. Well, needless to say, that is an incredibly impressive background, and we are just so delighted to have Una here with us today. On today's podcast, Terry and I are going to discuss with Una the challenges and opportunities in creating, building, managing, and exiting growing companies in the life sciences space. Why don't we start, Una, just by maybe telling us a little bit about why did you choose to become an entrepreneur and why in the life sciences space? Well, it started pretty early in my life. I think I was about five years old when an aunt of mine took me to a missionary movie. And it was about um, a little boy in Africa who had leprosy. Actually, I think he didn't, but his his family did. So he was taken away um, from his friends and his village to live on an island. And it just broke my heart when I was five, and I decided I was going to cure all those terrible diseases, especially of children, when I grew up. And um, then, of course, I you know, had to get an education and sort of pretty much forgot about it until later when I realized that in academia I was just producing papers and books, and I really wanted to make uh, things that went to the person and... Um, not quite as um, as broad-minded as when I was a child. I wanted to cure diseases. By the time I was an adult, I just wanted to alleviate disease, which was more realistic. So how did you grow your first company? How did you raise the money and build the team needed to succeed? 
Well, it's easy to look back on it and say, you know, that I had a plan and I know how to do it. Uh, probably the answer is I muddled through. But looking back on it, the right way to do it is really to think of three Ps, purpose, product, and people. And I have never started or run a company where I didn't feel there was a purpose. Some people would say mission, but I don't want to get too much into, into that mode. Um, and I think the most important thing that entrepreneurs forget is that it has you have to produce a product. You have to make something that people will, that they want, but they will actually pay for and that they'll pay more than it costs you to make it. So product, but the most important thing is the people. In academia where I started out, you think you can do everything as an individual, but in business you have to understand a team. And um, building a team such that it fills the gaps in your own knowledge and your own skills and realize that, you know, giving everyone credit for what they bring to it is quite a skill. And so that's really, I think, the best way to go about starting a company. Um, funding it is essential. There are, now that I'm an investor, I see it more on the other side. One thing perhaps I didn't understand well enough when I started is the investors are part of the company. And they've got to be happy too. You know, it's not just the science and the employees. Um, so I'm not sure I focused enough on what their exit, their prize would be when I first started. But I do think entrepreneurs need to think about that. So I, I love the fact that in the life sciences space that you, you commented that you need a product that people want to pay for. A lot of, people, a lot of folks in the life sciences space don't think that way. They just think it's a science project. And that's why it goes on forever and ever. And very often you end up with a different CEO. And in, in a way, it's sad. I love it when you see founders make it all the way through. <laughs> but um, as I said, it's easy to look back and know the lessons. Um, I think my advice is just start. People will help you if you want to do it. You mentioned another thing that I thought was really interesting to focus on, focus on the investors. And this is an area that we work with entrepreneurs a lot. And I think, again, there's the, the tendency to fall in love with your technology. And you mm -hmm. think that the investors also are falling in love with your technology. And you forget that, yes, they, they like what you're doing, but they fundamentally are investing to make money. Exactly. And I remember actually um, being disappointed one time when uh, one of my major investors, this is one of my early companies, uh, sold a large portion of stock. And I thought, how could they do that? I thought they were loyal. And then uh, um, a case of champagne arrived at my house and I realized they were so happy <laughs> they had made money and I kind of understood what it was for them. I was going to plow on and make the final product. but. Um, they actually came back in again. But at first I thought, it was treachery. <laughs> so what did you enjoy most in starting and building a company? And corollary question, what did you least enjoy? Well, probably the answer to both questions is people. Um, at the beginning, I absolutely love working with the scientists. I realized too that as you have um, 
a good relationship with your CFO, that people can be very creative about finance too. And so I, I enjoyed transactional things. But perhaps the, the biggest joy comes when you actually see patients, and in, in my case, very often children, benefiting from what you do. And you begin to see that even before you get to approval. During clinical trials, you can begin to see uh, that something is working. So there are great pleasures. But I would say um, the things that are difficult are employees who really need to be in a different company or situation. Um, and externalities that people blame on you. There will be people who will blame you for um, general downturns in the economy or um, sort of crises that you can't help, and you have to learn to weather that, but it, it's not pleasant. So you talked about people who maybe don't fit in the company. Maybe you can expand on that and how that was not very enjoyable for you. Well, one of the things um, that I often get asked is, what do, you, what do you wish you had done better? What could you have learned from? And I think the answer is I was not good. I probably am still not good at doing the hard things quickly enough. So when you need to do a layoff because you bought another company or just there's a downturn in the economy and your company is too big, it's very hard to tell people who haven't actually done anything wrong that there's no place for them. And I think I was always slow. I always did it, hated it, but I was too slow. Um, and I think there are also times when you have people who are quite good and who will flourish in another company, but they're just not a good fit for your company. And you really do need to move them on. And again, I... I found it difficult. So doing the hard things soon enough. Um, they're not going to get any better. They just fester. So my advice to others is always, if you're going to do it, just do it. <laughs> really, really good advice. I think we've all seen it, unfortunately, unfold the other way. Um, so you mentioned that you're also now an investor. So you, you were an entrepreneur, you've built businesses, now you're investing in other businesses. With that background, what is it that you're looking for when you're making investments? Well, it's very fortunate to have run companies and been in research. So I understand the science and technology usually. And um, I would say very definitely what I go for is leadership. There are some people who come across quickly just as natural leaders. But then to go back to this business about a team, if you see somebody who's young, maybe it's their first company, but they've really put together a substantial team that can stand on its own feet. I, I admire that above the technology. I'm always a little titillated by really exciting new science, but without a good team, it, it's just not going to come to fruition. So this is something we hear all the time from investors, right? And, and kind of the joke is in real estate, people tell you, do you invest based on three things? location, location, location. And I've heard so many investors say, and with you know, startups and entrepreneurs, it's three things, management, management, management. That's right. And I, I've also had discussions with people about whether it can be taught. I think to some extent, but I think you can see people who will um, just light up a room when they start to talk about what they're doing. And that's what I like to invest in. 
So what advice would you give to a first-time entrepreneur looking to start a life sciences company? Well, I think a mixture of the things I've said. Pay attention to those three Ps and um, recognize that you cannot do it all. You need a team of people. You know, people will often come and say, oh, I don't understand the science or um, I don't know how to do deals. So you hire people to do it. They don't have to work in the company. You you can get firms to do those things for you. So, so build a base that works, honor your investors, <laughs> they're there to help you. Um, choose them carefully. Um, it's very nice to have your grandmother and everyone in there, but really experienced investors can help you. They can um, provide introductions, they can do all sorts of things that are really useful. And uh, I think investors who get along well with other investors are a great asset. So pick your friends wisely is what I would say. So looking back on your career, it's always fun to ask, you know, what would you go back and tell your younger self today based on what you know now? Um, don't forget why you went into it in the first place. I mean, I think that I go back to that five-year-old child and when I'm fussing around about, oh, a stock price or some deal, I have to remember what it was I was trying to do in the first place, cure a disease or alleviate some pain or bring some product to people who wouldn't get it otherwise. So don't forget that um, mission or that purpose. Um, just go back to it and it will power you through because of course you're going to have setbacks. Some of them will be really, really testing. Um, much of the life sciences you live on the brink. But if you remember what you were trying to do in the first place, um, go for it. So you've also talked a little bit about the importance of you know, recognizing the investors as part of the team. Is that something that from experience you look back on and that do you think maybe you didn't do or that you think you did well when you were starting out as an entrepreneur? No, I think I, I was really grateful to them, but I think I saw it as one-time money in to get me over this hump. Good investors stick with you for the life cycle of the company. They become your trusted friends and advisors, and um, you want to do well by them. I mean, this is business, so you, you want to uh, sell your product, you want your company to be more valuable next year than it was last year. Um, so I think the long-term relationship, rather than, oh my God, I've got to get X number of dollars so that you know we can make payroll next month, is not the right way to look at it. You need to look at building a relationship. And yes, I mean, I would say my appreciation has evolved. Because you're an investor now? Yes, but before that, as I said, I've told you little stories about um, that I didn't really understand it. I got a 360 feedback once from Wall Street who said, yeah, she's a great CEO. She always tells us why we should buy her stock. She doesn't always tell us how we'll make money. And, you know, that was an eye-opener to me because I thought they'd come back and say, oh, yes, she's wonderful. And, you know, it was a qualified opinion. <laughs> So in addition to being an entrepreneur, investor, scientist, you are also an artist. 
So we would love to hear about how you got into art and tell us a little bit about the art that you do now. Well, it always seems as if it's um, a pivot or an about face and I'm using a different part of my brain. It's exactly the same passions, the same science um, and the same sense of purpose that powers it. So I would say science has been the muse for trying to develop medicines, for actually trying to make money and, and counsel and mentor other people, um, but it's also the background for my art. So I make images of the insides of cells with the uh, scene in the electron microscope, so you wouldn't normally see this. People understand that art is therapeutic, but being able to see inside you is really um, a sort of existential moment for many people. And I combine that with images, um, satellite images from space. So you're looking at the world inside you and the, our world beyond us. And they're both incredibly beautiful when you have that much perspective. When you just look at sort of ugly guts, it's not beautiful. And we see all the ugliness in the world, but from space, it's beautiful. And um, I do find art therapeutic, not just for me, but for my collectors. And it's a very rewarding place to be. So, you know, if you want to change the world, as I always have, and you really want to understand the world we live in, you have to be able to understand yourself and see yourself in that world. So that's what the art and the science together have done for me. Wow, that's an incredible story and just a great, a great message for all of us to be focused a little bit more on, you know, what's the impact that we can have on the world mm -hmm. as opposed to what can I get out of it? Mm -hmm. Really great message. Um, so most of our listeners are you know, early stage entrepreneurs, people who are building businesses and looking for guidance. I always like to ask our, our guests to have a parting comment, something that you'd like them to remember when they're out there building their companies and you know, fighting the good fight. Well, fighting the good fight, um, your words always remind me of Winston Churchill, so I'm going to end with his. You know, if you believe in, in what you're doing, never, never, never give in. That's my advice. Great advice. I love it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Una. Just such a pleasure to have you here and such an interesting conversation. I know very valuable for our listeners. And Terry, thank you for joining us as well. I am Jeremy Glazer of Mintz Levin, and thank you for listening to this edition of From the Edge. Mm -hmm.